Well, good evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be standing back behind this pulpit, as I was here s- several months ago. Um, and for those of you who don't know, my name is Ross Bailey, a member of this church, and not intern, but seminary student. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Mark chapter 5, where I will read verses 1 through 20. Please give attention to God's word. They, this is the disciples in Jesus, uh, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him uh, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Please join me in prayer and asking for the Lord's blessing. Our gracious God and Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, your mighty word, by which you break cedars and cause the deer to give birth and so on. Lord, I pray that you would uh, have mercy on me, a messenger carrying your word, that it may be spoken faithfully. Uh, It's a weighty task, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us all, both me and those who hear uh, hear me, uh, ears to hear to learn of you and to, to exalt you in our hearts. Lord, please reveal yourself through your word. 
for the sake of Christ our Savior. Amen. Who do you think that Jesus is? Who is he to you? One famous theologian said that what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Well, as Christians, we acknowledge that Jesus is himself God. So therefore, what comes into our mind when we think about Jesus is the most important thing about us. So who do you think he is? What do you think of him? Do you think that he is mighty but not merciful, just but not gentle, uh, that he is a mighty king who will subdue all of his enemies, and we are sort of included in that bunch, or if not, reluctantly on the other side. Or on the flip side, do you consider him to be very merciful, but not mighty, very gentle, but not just, a friend who you can go to at any point, but one who can't really help you in your times of need, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, when you are going through struggles, whether it be sickness, Uh, loved ones dying, or any other variety of things that we all go through, personal trials. Who is Jesus to you in those moments? Well, our text this evening gives us a portrait of who Jesus is, and it gives us a portrait of Jesus who is neither, who is not one or the other, who is not just merciful or just mighty but one who is perfectly merciful and perfectly mighty, perfectly gentle and perfectly just. And I want to ask you to sort of do an impossible thing this evening, which is that try to consider, as I go through this passage, Jesus for the first time, which is especially hard considering how our songs are so richly filled with truths about him and even Colossians 1.15 is, or uh, yeah, 1.15 through 20. But this passage comes in a, as a historical representation of who Jesus was when he first came on the earth, and what these people are telling us about him was, are things they witnessed for the first time, not as a compendium of a full book about him, but as eyewitnesses for the first time of these things about him. So in the back of your mind, sort of keep that thought of trying to picture, okay, what would I think of Jesus if he were doing these things, and these were the first time I were seeing him do them. So briefly, for context, so far in this historical presentation of who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen in chapter 1 that he has overcome the temptation of the devil, that he has healed uh, a man with a demon, and he healed many who were sick and oppressed with demons. And he even cleanses a leper. In chapter 2, he heals a paralytic and shows his authority to forgive sins. In chapter 3, he heals a man with a withered hand. And he summons, by his command, 12 men to follow him, who, upon his command, immediately follow him. They don't debate whether they should or they shouldn't. And right before this, uh, just before this passage in Mark 5, Jesus calmed a mighty storm. The disciples were on their way from Israel to where they are now, and there was a tempest. And he said, be still, peace, and it was. And so the disciples had this question that I've asked you, who then is this that even the wind 
and the sea obey him. So this evening, I want to look at sort of two, you could think of almost opposite, but they're held together in Jesus, aspects of him, which is the magnitude of his might and the marvel of his mercy. So first considering the magnitude of Jesus' might. How do we in this story, uh, this true historical account, consider his might? Well, we see it by the might of legion, this man possessed with not just a demon, but a plethora of demons. And we see it in his, this man's fierceness. In relation to that, we see the might of Jesus. So this man who had been possessed with a legion of demons uh, was unstoppable by human efforts, completely unstoppable. Uh, it says that he had been often been bound with chains and shackles, but he wrenched them apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one. And it's emphatic in the original. There's three negatives here. No one at all anymore. Uh, it's very strong of emphasizing how fierce this legion is. Uh, maybe today if we had more powerful chains we could do something about him. I don't know but they were throwing all that they had in that time at him, and their efforts ended up failing. So they had themselves a man who had legion, maybe they didn't know that, but a demon-possessed man who was breaking chains apart and breaking shackles apart. And they were basically stuck. It was a hopeless situation for them. They had no more. But then Jesus shows up. And there's an immediate contrast here between the, the efforts of men, mere men, and the efforts of Jesus. Now, again, looking at this from first viewpoint, well, Jesus seems to be a mere man. What do they know? They don't know that he's not just a mere man. This, Jesus was traveling to this place for the first time, so they haven't seen any of the things that have occurred in Mark 1-4. through 4. So by all accounts, they were looking at him as a mere man. But this mere man had results that no other mere man did. Uh, when Jesus was, this demon-possessed man confronted Jesus, instead of shouting and trying to wrestle Jesus to the ground, or instead of Jesus trying to do that to the demon-possessed man, the demon-possessed man immediately stops and begs Jesus for mercy. He begs Jesus to not torment him, to not cast them out of this man. Now, Jesus wasn't controlling this demon-possessed man by an effort of his physical strength. It doesn't say that he gave him a big bear hug and the demon-possessed man was crying for mercy because he was being squeezed to death. Um, nothing of that sort. Rather, it says that Jesus had been saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirits. So this demon-possessed man was terrified of the word of Jesus, and that's all that Jesus had to exercise in this situation to stop this demon-possessed man. Uh, you know, he didn't need divine shackles and chains. He used his word merely. 
And consider just how strange this would have been if you saw this for the first time. Like, what? Who on earth is this man who can just say, come out of, you, come out of this man, you unclean spirits, and they stop. They don't fight, they don't wrestle, they just stop. That's a good question, and one which we will further answer. But now, sort of thinking about our situation, uh, this, this shows us, this is an example of how human efforts, when they fail, of course, Jesus is not bound by them. That when we are at the end of the rope that all human efforts have given us, God is free through Jesus and through you know, his spirit to do things that are, what we would say, impossible. Uh, and of course, we, you know, this church knows well of one situation uh, with Michael and how he was on death's doorstep. The doctor said, you, you will die. It, it's going to happen. But God had different plans for Michael. And probably we've all faced some situation where we've exhausted human efforts, medical treatments, uh, you know, asking counsel from as many people, and we came to a stop. But Jesus accomplished, the Lord accomplished something in our lives that was past that. Uh, so secondly, and I'm going to sort of do this on his mercy as well, I want us to note three responses to this might, three responses that occur in this situation and then reflect on that. Uh, because we see that clearly in both response to his might and, and, and somewhat to his mercy as well. So the first we, response that we see is the man who had the legion. He responds in fear and trembling, in terror and awe. And he, of all the people in this story, the, certainly the demons within him, acknowledge Jesus for who Jesus truly is. They tell us who Jesus is. There's an irony here that demons are giving us a, a testimony of who Jesus is. And so they say, you know, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So they, full well knowing who Jesus is, refuse to worship him, refuse to acknowledge his authority as a means of their salvation, but instead they merely plead that they would not be tormented by him. And for you and I, as James even says, that we can hear the word of God we can know who Jesus is fully well, and we tremble, we're afraid, but we don't believe. We don't worship, we don't follow him, we don't want to. And so this is a challenge for us to not have the faith of demons, who can say, yeah, Jesus, you're son of the most high God, but leave me alone, I don't want anything to do with you. Go away. Don't bug me, don't bother me. Second, we see the response of the people. Uh, in verses 15 and 17, after hearing what Jesus had done, they, they were afraid, and then they began to beg Jesus to go away from them, to leave their region. I mean, in one perspective, this is, this is kind of understandable. You have a demon-possessed man 
with chains and shackles who breaks them to pieces. And Jesus comes on the scene and stops him, cold in his tracks. We couldn't stop this man. Uh, What are we going to do about Jesus if he's not for us and he's against us? Nothing. (laughs) If they couldn't stop a demon-possessed man, how can they stop the Jesus who stopped the demon-possessed man very easily without exertion? So in a sense, it's understandable in the initial perceiving of it, uh, but nonetheless not a good response, uh, a response of begging Jesus to leave you alone. So have you ever, since becoming a Christian, have you ever been like, uh, Lord, just leave me alone? My life was easier before I was a Christian. I would like to try to live without you now. I've, I've asked that. Thankfully, the Lord had other plans, and he didn't leave me alone. But nonetheless, sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we wish that he would leave us alone and never come back, which he does here. And it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing that, he, that these people casted away their salvation, that they uh, sent their deliverer out. And then finally, we see that this man, this man who had received salvation, he begged that he might be with the Lord. So you see three beggings here. Begging of the demon-possessed man, have mercy on me, don't torment us. The begging of the people of the land, go away, leave us alone. And then the begging of this man, who has now been delivered from the demons, "Let let me now go with you. Let me be with you. You've saved me. I want to go where you go. I want to be wherever you go because you've brought me to salvation. So you, today, who have experienced the salvation, who have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, do you want to go and be wherever Jesus would have you to go? Or are you afraid and you really don't want to go where he goes? where he leads you, and you're afraid he's going to lead you into dangerous places. This demon-possessed man, in a way, provides us a picture of our salvation. Uh, one commentator noted, uh, he said, that though we are not tortured by the devil, uh, likely not like this man, certainly, uh, having a legion of demons, yet he holds us as his slaves till the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny. We, as it were, are naked, torn, and disfigured. We wander about till he, Jesus, comes and restores to us the soundness of mind. So this demon-possessed man was a picture of our own salvation in this way. So we've seen, in, in brief, we've seen the might of Jesus here in this passage. He is a mighty man, at least from first appearance, who can halt even a man with a legion of demons in his tracks. That's not necessarily good news if he's just mighty. So we also see the marvel of Jesus' mercy. And the first way we see this is that Jesus went to this place. The Gerasenes was a, a place outside of Israel. It was Gentile territory. And one way we can see that very clearly is that they were raising pigs, No Jew in their right mind at this time would do something like raise pigs. 
If they couldn't eat them, they would not raise them. And so he went to this Gentile territory, even though Jesus, in his initial coming, he said, I've come, I've come for the sons of Israel, to Israel first and then to the Gentiles. Yet early on in his ministry, Jesus here comes to Gentiles, to a, a place outside of his normal perusings. He did, I don't think he was just like, well, let's have a nice relaxing time on the boat, boat and we'll just get off wherever we land. Surely he was intentional in this. He went here on purpose. So here, already we're seeing the gospel go forth and that Jesus is coming to people outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, to, to, bring, to show them who he is. And, and also, this was an unclean people. Uh, so they weren't just like not Israelites, They were unclean. Uh, They were unclean because they were Gentiles. They were also unclean because they were doing things like raising pigs that would make you, uh, according to Leviticus, unclean. So they were unclean, and he was coming to these unclean people. But a a greater picture of his mercy, and this really is the sort of center of it, is, of course, his dealing with the legion. And just like Jesus didn't have to come to the Gerasenes, He certainly didn't have to deal with this man. He could have, by physical strength or some supernatural shackles, bound him and left him as he was. Jesus wasn't obligated to to help this man, but he does. He does help him. He does come to him. He does come to this place. And this man was not just unclean like the other people were unclean. He is unclean because he's Gentile. He's unclean because he's uh, you know, living in this place, particularly in the place of the dead, the tombs. Again, Levitic- Leviticus would say you are unclean if you associate with the dead. And then, worst of all, <laughs> he's filled with a multitude of unclean spirits. Whether that was a full Roman legion or not, uh, it was at least enough to drive 2,000 pigs into the sea. A Roman legion would have been approximately 6,000, but there's at least enough to drive 2,000 pigs into the sea. So it was quite a number. So he was very, very, very unclean, as it were, the trinity of uncleanness. And naturally, a Jew, a rabbi of this time, would have therefore put a halt on going to this place, talking to this person, and certainly giving him salvation. But Jesus is not afraid to associate with these unclean people and with this unclean man. And while he was more certainly merciful to the man behind who was filled with the legion, he's, Jesus is even strangely merciful to these demons because he gives heed to their requests. They were saying, hey, don't torment us. Don't just blank send us out into the country, into uh, empty space, there's pigs over here. Let us, let us go into them. And Jesus could have been like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. You're demons. What right do you have to make demands? You're trying to adjure God by, I, and I'm the son of the most high God. What do you think you're doing? But instead, he gives heed. And he actually gives, answers the demon, the legion's request by sending them into the pigs. So even here, the might of Jesus in relation to his enemies, the ones who know who he is but absolutely do not acknowledge him, is a merciful might. 
even to his enemies here in this situation, it is a merciful might. Which, of course, there's sort of an irony here as well, and that what they thought would be good for them, you know, didn't turn out so well. It's a lot of wasted bacon. Uh, so, it, you know, it was to their own destruction, but nonetheless, they thought, okay, this is better for us uh, than, than just being cast out. So, uh, he, he brought salvation, even in, in some very, you know, ironic way to this uh, demon-possessed, these demons. And he, he was merciful to these people. Imagine, you know, you have in your neighborhood a guy walking down the streets who is crying and screaming aloud and cutting himself with stones. And you call the police and they're like, uh, yeah, we tried to put handcuffs on him and uh, didn't work. We tried to shoot him, uh, that didn't work either. So we're just going to, he's just going to roam around your streets. Sorry. You know, I'd, I wouldn't be too happy with that. I would probably uh, want to move out of that neighborhood. Um, I'm sure there was a sense of that with these, these people. So they had this, this man, and, and so Jesus was merciful to them by getting rid of this torment to their, their country, their land. Uh, he uh, brought them salvation. And yet, sort of noting their response again, one commentator says, uh, I think this is the same one as the first, uh, uh, that they too were scattered. And here is a shepherd to collect them. Or rather, it is God, through Jesus, who uh, stretches out his arms to embrace them and carry uh, to heaven those who are overwhelmed by the darkness of death uh, that was in the land through this demoniac. But they chose rather to be deprived of the salvation which is offered them than endure any longer the presence of Christ. So though he brought salvation to them, he would uh, not have, they would not have him to stay. And lastly, we see Jesus' mercy and his not answering this man's request the way he wanted. So this is especially uh, sort of difficult because you have these people who beg Jesus to go away. Jesus is like, okay, I'm getting in my boat. See you later. He leaves. He says yes. You have this uh, legion who says, hey, don't torment us. Don't cast us out of the country. Send us into the pigs. Jesus says, okay, you have my permission. Go into the pigs. What about the man who begs to be with Jesus? No, go home. You can't come with me. Isn't this man asking for the best thing of all? To be with Jesus and to proclaim what has happened to him? Isn't this the best request? And yet Jesus says no. What, what's going on here? Why does Jesus say no here? Well, I think he says no, though it sounds harsh on the front end, because Jesus has a bigger and larger plan, a bigger perspective. Because think about it, earlier Jesus called 12 disciples. These disciples were Jews. At this point in history, uh, in Israel, to have a Gentile who has this, especially has this history of living among the tombs, being filled with unclean spirits, to have that man along with these 12 Jews would have been 
a recipe for disaster. They would have not tolerated it. Uh, they would have, it would have created a stumbling block to them. So Jesus is showing priority to the people he has called to himself and to the mission that he is on. It's purposeful. It's not, uh, it's, he's not being arbitrarily harsh here. And then also, by refusing this man's request, and Jesus actually redirects him. He doesn't say, no, go home, be quiet, don't say anything about this. Uh, worship God in your heart and, and, and leave it to yourself. Instead, he, he sends this man to proclaim to his friends personally what has happened to him, how he has personally experienced the salvation of Jesus, of the deliverance of Jesus. So in this way, Jesus actually multiplies the proclamation of his mercy and his might. And he sends a Gentile who has been delivered from unclean spirits to be a missionary to Gentiles who therefore would marvel. And it says everyone marveled. So Jesus, had, in his, through his bigger plan, was allowed the mercy and might of him and ultimately, as it says, of the Lord to be proclaimed in a place where Jesus was not going to be because Jesus was going back across the sea, back in the boat. And so this is a reminder for us. When God sometimes says no to our prayers, though they are good things, he has a bigger purpose. His wisdom is wiser than ours. And though we do not yet see it, um, as the famous you know, hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Way, uh, his purposes are unfolding, uh, and we will see them. And though bitter is the bud, sweet shall be the flower. And so we, we see the marvel of Jesus' mercy, even when he says no. So how then do we respond in closing? Do we, like this man, who have been saved, who have been transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God's beloved Son, who have been granted life from death, sight from blindness, hearing from deafness, do we, uh, like this man, want to tell personally how we have experienced God's salvation? And it's easy to talk generically and generally about the Lord, and uh, with people, or easy enough at least, but it can be harder sometimes to talk about how we've experienced salvation, or someone we know has. Uh, I'm thankful for the testimony that this church has with what happened to Michael, though he, I'm sure, did not enjoy it. I can, I'm sure he is also thankful for the testimony of God's grace through him, working through him, and the prayers of his people. I'm sure Michael is thankful for that. And so do we want to proclaim how we have been touched by the Lord, how we have been healed, how we have been restored, how we have been set from the path of destruction to the path of life? We never know through this how we might cause others to marvel at the mercy of the Lord. We never know how the mercy might spread to a place that it hadn't been through our proclaiming it. So let us not be like 
you know, the demoniac with uh, a true faith in the sense of acknowledging what's true, but not loving what's true, nor these people who just did not want what's true and did not, certainly did not love it, but have a faith like this man that seeks to take what the Lord has given us and to proclaim it and to use it. And let us have this hope that, you know, knowing that in this situation as all men's efforts fail, uh, that Jesus as Lord, and this is an interesting thing in the text here, that Jesus says, go tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Jesus, the man says how much Jesus had done for him. So there's a very clear connection here between the Lord and Jesus. That Jesus as Lord is both willing and able to help and to heal us. Even as it says in Psalm 72 of the Lord, of Jehovah. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious in his sight. Precious is their blood in his sight. Amen.